thank you for tuning in to the Transformed Podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad, which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. This podcast challenges us to be different from this world in which we live and to transform ourselves into the best that we can be for God. Here is your host, Caleb Rutherford. I've noticed that everyone who is for abortion has already been born. It is a poverty to decide that a child must die so that you may live as you wish. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast again. I'm grateful uh, for your, uh, I guess, virtual presence, maybe your presence and just just your listening uh, on on this podcast. I'm certainly thankful for your support and for everything that you do for this network and just your listening. I appreciate it so very much. Uh, Your support means the world to all of us here at the Scattered Abroad Network. I hope that you are excited for all the content that we've been putting out, and I certainly hope that you've been taking advantage of that. As always, don't remember, or rather, don't remember, please remember (laughs) to uh, give us a rating or a review on whatever platform it is. Uh, That certainly will help us out. And if you can, do that for all of our podcasts. If you could, just listen to a few of their episodes, give them a rating or review. That certainly would help all of us out uh, tremendously. Also, if you want to know any more about us, go to scatteredabroad.org. There you can find out all the information. And as well, please scroll all the way down to the bottom of the website, And there you can subscribe to our email list. There you'll be informed about all the things that you need to know about our network. We've been discussing this theme of being transformed out of and how this season has been completely dedicated to growing and to evolving and to becoming better um, than we were the day before. And today, I want to talk about maybe a little bit more of a what we might call a heavy topic, something that does not get discussed a whole lot but one that certainly needs to continue to be discussed, and it is a topic that can, needs to be continually addressed. It's something that certainly is a what we might say a hot topic among those in the politic arena, among those in just any kind of, um, really any, anybody in the world probably has some kind of feeling um, on this topic of abortion. And it is something that every individual, um, I would assume, knows about. It is something that every individual, I think, has some kind of side on. And so it's certainly something that's pertinent, but interestingly enough, that's the thing about uh, the Bible. It gives us only one side to be on that's, that's truthful. Um, and so we're hopefully going to point that out as we go through. This is going to be a part one of two. Next week, we will finish this discussion. There is just a lot to talk about um, as we discuss this very difficult topic of abortion. I do want to start this entire thing out by saying this. If you are listening and you have had an abortion, I want you to know this, that I love you. I want you to know that God loves you. You see, there is so much hate and so much animosity towards individuals in this life. But I want you to know, as a friend of mine said this, there is always a way back to Almighty God. I saw it on the side of a plumbing truck one time that said, there is no place that is too dark, too deep, and too messy for us to fix. And the exact same thing could be said about the grace, the mercy, and the forgiveness of God. And so maybe you've gone through an abortion. Maybe you feel that guilt. Maybe you feel that pain, that horror of what you've done. Know that you can receive forgiveness. Know that you can come in contact with the grace and mercy of God. Know that God loves you. That God wants what's best for you. That truly, I want what is best for you. And then I want to be able to help you as we go through this study. 
I do want to mention this as well as we begin. There must be a standard of authority, or there will never be an agreement on anything. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning of verse 16 and 17, the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and that it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete. You see, the Bible is our standard of authority. The Bible is the standard of how we ought to live and what we ought to do in this life. And until we agree on that, we won't be able to agree on anything else. And so I hope that you are in agreement with me as we go through this study. that The Bible is our standard for truth. I want to talk about life for just a moment. You know, life is so beautiful, isn't it? Life is so precious. Life is so wonderful at least outside of the womb, isn't it? You know, people are overjoyed once that child is born. Once a mother goes through the pregnancy stage and the child is delivered, so much, so much happiness, so much joy. But for so many individuals, they view that precious soul that our Lord died for. Before it's born, while it's still in the womb, they view it as just a clump of cells. They view it as just a lifeless piece of tissue. They view it as just what we might call, maybe you've heard this term, a fetus. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, that medically, with the advances that we have made in our time, we now know so many things that we didn't used to know. And the same thing it can be said about being able to see the stages of a child and how it grows within the mother's womb. At just two and a half weeks after conception, the heart begins to beat due to that unborn child's own blood supply. At just two and a half weeks, the child begins to beat, the heart begins to beat. Three weeks, the eyes, the spinal cord, the nervous system, the lungs, the intestines, they're all present at just three weeks. At six weeks, brain activity can be recorded. Mouth and lips are present. Fingernails are present. Movement can be detected at just six weeks. At seven weeks, fingers, knees, ankles, toes, they can all be seen and they're all formed. Eight weeks, the child can begin to grab at things that are around it. The child can also begin to hear things outside of the womb. It can hear voices and sounds that are going on outside of the womb. Eleven weeks. Every single organ is present and completely functioning. Twelve weeks. You're now just, you were just now out of your first trimester. All of that has happened within the first trimester. Sixteen weeks. The eyes can blink. The heart is now fully formed along with blood vessels. Fingerprints are now on the fingers and toes. Twenty weeks. The baby can recognize the mother's voice. Twenty-eight weeks. If had to be born premature, there's a very good chance that the baby would survive. 37 weeks, the baby is technically considered to be at term and it is ready to be delivered. We can see that life certainly begins at conception and yet so many people don't believe that. At least they don't want to. A few passages that I think about in the Bible. Psalm 139 verse 13 and 14, you know it very well. For you, talking about God, formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you 
for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Job 31 and verse 15, did he not who made me, rather did he, did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one fashion us in the womb? I think about Genesis 1 and verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. You see, life is so sacred because God is the giver and the sustainer of it. You and I, we have no right to treat life however we want. Our own lives, the lives of others, born or unborn. You see, an innocent life begins at conception, doesn't it? But very few people who are in favor of abortion cannot admit that. Because in doing so, they must admit that abortion is the termination of an innocent life. In order for this quote-unquote pro-choice movement to continue to thrive and to succeed, they must always denounce that there is life within the womb. It's not a baby. It's a fetus. It's not a child. It's just a product of conception. It's not a human. It's just medical tissue. What is an abortion? You know, I think so many, I think you would be surprised at how many people actually don't know what an abortion is, what all is involved within an abortion. A number of years ago, Brian Carl Peterson and Amy Suzanne Grossberg were charged with first degree murder uh, of their newborn baby. They secretly gave birth to a six pound, two ounce baby. They wrapped it up in a trash bag and they left it in a motel trash can. Now, they claimed that it was stillborn. This is after they had been caught, obviously. They claimed that it was stillborn, but later it was revealed that the baby died to multiple skull fractures, which were caused by blunt trauma and shaking and, and, and violent shaking. And then it was left for dead. But if only Mr. Peterson and Ms. Grossberg had realized that there were civil ways to dispose of a baby. You see, if only they had done these things, quote-unquote, professionally by a doctor, surely it all would have been okay. If only they had used the suction method. This would have been done within that first trimester. Keep in mind, the heart, eyes, spinal cord, lungs, fingers, toes, among many other things are already there and are already fully working. If only Mr. Peterson and Ms. Grossberg had used this powerful suction tube that has a blade attached to it. If only they had stuck it into the uterus and then once they turned it on, the baby would then be sucked into the tube, dicing up that child into several pieces as it fills up a collection bottle that's sitting next to the mother. Surely that would have been far better, would have been legal than what they did. Maybe they could have used the what is called RU486 method. Typically done within five to nine weeks, again within that first trimester, where Miss Grossberg could have just taken a drug. That drug cutting off the nutrition supply, starving that child to death. And then hours later, she could have delivered that dead child, and then they wouldn't have had to worry about it anymore. If only they'd used that. Maybe if only they had used the DNA method, generally a second or a third trimester procedure. 
You see, Mr. Peterson and Mr. Grossberg could have used forceps that look like sharp tooth pliers. They are inserted into the uterus, and they could have ripped their child apart piece by piece, limb by limb, hand by foot, until the womb was empty. And instead of the police picking up that child from that trash bag that was left in that motel room, a a certified professional could have instead reassembled that body, the body parts, the legs, the arms, the torso, the head, to ensure that none of the parts were left in the womb. Surely that would have been so much more humane, right? Sure, there would have been tons of bleeding. Yes, the uh, Miss Grosser would have been in immense pain. But surely it would have been better. Maybe they could have used the, the saline or the salt method. Typically, this was done 16th week or within that second trimester. And, and instead of throwing their baby away into that trash can and leaving it, Mr. Peterson and Ms. Grossberg could have used a doctor, a professional, who would have taken a needle and inserted it there into the womb and injecting a solution that is full of salt, chemicals, poisons. And that baby would then have breathed in the salt and have been poisoned by it. It would have caused the outer layer of that baby, the outer layer of that skin to be burned off. And then one day later, Ms. Grossberg could have delivered that dead baby that's burned, that's shriveled when it comes out. And if only they had done this, a professional could have taken the child and thrown it away for them instead of they themselves. If only they had done that. If only they had chosen to do a partial birth abortion. Done much later in the third trimester, if she could have hung on a little bit while longer, sometimes even when the child has come to term, the child would have been partly born, their heartbeat on the monitor, vitals looking fine. The doctor would then deliver the baby feet first, alive. And the entire body of that baby would have then been exposed to the outside, the head still being deliberately kept inside the womb. And Mr. Peterson and Ms. Grossberg could have then had a doctor take scissors, large scissors, and jam it into the back of the baby's skull. It could have opened up, creating that hole, and then that doctor could have taken a suction tube, slid it into the hole of Miss Grossberg's baby, and sucked its brains out through a tube. They then would have pulled the head out and that limp and lifeless body of that entire child could have been thrown away into a trash can by a professional. And then they would not be facing jail time. You see, they could have even chosen to do a C-section abortion. Quite possibly one of the simplest and easiest forms of abortion that there is. They they could have done this. Where a C-section is performed, the umbilical cord is cut, and that baby is pulled out. And instead of maybe going to the NICU or going, uh, being wrapped in a blanket and given to the mother, that baby is then thrown into the trash can. And it is literally left to die. You see, that's exactly what Mr. Peterson and Ms. Grossberg had done. But if only they had allowed a professional to do to their child what they did themselves, then they could have avoided all of the, tra- the charges and trouble that they found themselves in. You see, maybe Mr. Peterson and Ms. Grossberg would have never gone to prison had they disposed of their child in a professional and in a safe way. Now, interestingly enough, when all of this went down, there were many individuals 
who were actually vying for the death penalty to be handed to Mr. Peterson and Miss Grossberg. The baby had died from multiple fractures to the skull and then from being thrown away and left to die in a trash can. Eventually, they both pled guilty to manslaughter charges and they each received eight-year sentences to prison. They both were let out early on good behavior. But how foolish they were. And that if only they had profession, professionals, nurses, doctors, to do to their child what they literally did, and, and even worse, they could have walked out free and clear. And no one would have ever batted an eyelash. I want to play a small, short clip um, from a man named Dr. Anthony Levitino. And some of you may have heard of him, but I want you to listen to the words that he says. He is a former uh, abortion doctor. He literally performed abortions himself. And I want you to listen to the things that he has to say here for just a couple of minutes. First witness is Dr. Anthony Levitino. Dr. Levitino is a board-certified obstetrician gynecologist. Over the course of his career, Dr. Levitino has practiced obstetrics and gynecology in both private and university settings, including as an associate professor of OBGYN at the Albany Medical College. And Dr. Levitino, we'll begin with you. Welcome. Thank you, Chairman and members of the committee. Um, I only have five minutes, so I'm going to get right to it. Second trimester D&E abortions perform between roughly 14 and 24 weeks of gestation. Your patient today is 17 years old. She's 22 weeks pregnant. Her baby is the length of your hand plus a couple of inches. And she's been feeling her baby kick for the last several weeks, but she's asleep on an operating room table. You walk into that operating room scrubbed and gowned, and after removing laminaria, you introduce a suction catheter into the uterus. This is a 14 French suction catheter. If she were 12 weeks pregnant or less, basically the width of your hand or smaller, you could basically do the entire procedure with this. But babies this big don't fit through catheters this size. After suctioning the amniotic fluid out from around the baby, you introduce an instrument called a sofa clamp. It's about 13 inches long. It's made of stainless steel. The business end of this clamp is about two and a half inches long and a half inch wide. There are rows of sharp teeth. This is a grasping instrument. When it gets a hold of something, it does not let go. A DNA procedure is a blind abortion, so picture yourself introducing this and grabbing anything you can blindly and pull, and I do mean hard, and out pops a leg about that big, which you put down on the table next to you. Reach in again, pull again, pull out an arm about the same length, which you put down on the table next to you, and use this instrument again and again to tear out the spine, the intestines, the heart and lungs. Head in the baby that size is about the size of a large plum, can't see it, but you pretty good idea you've got it if you've got your instrument around something and your fingers are spread about as far as they go. You know you did it right if you crush down on the instrument and white material runs out of the cervix. That was the baby's brains. Then you could pull out skull pieces. And you have a day like I had a lot of times, sometimes a little face comes back and stares back at you. Congratulations, you just successfully performed a second trimester DNA abortion. You just affirmed her right to choose. Why did you end your practice of doing abortions? I did over 1,200 abortions over a four-year period in private practice, not counting the ones that I did during my training. Um, 
I met my wife at, um, during my first year of training at Albany Medical Center. We got married about a year later and found that we had an infertility problem. After years of failed infertility treatment and several years trying to adopt a child, we were blessed with a, adopting a, a little girl that we named Heather in August of 1978. Um, as sometimes happens in those situations, my wife got pregnant the very next month and we had two children 10 months apart. Um, Two months short of my daughter Heather's sixth birthday, she was killed in an auto accident and literally died in her arms in the back of an ambulance. Anyone who has children might think they have some idea of what that feels like, but unless you've been through it yourself, you have no idea whatsoever. Um, I know people find it hard to believe, but uh, what do you do after disaster? You bury your child and then you go back to your life. And I don't remember exactly how long it was after my daughter died that I showed up at Albany Medical Center OR number nine to perform my first second trimester DNA abortion. I wasn't thinking of it as anything special. This was routine to me. Um, but I reached in, literally pulled out an arm or leg and got sick. You know, earlier on, I described stacking up body parts on the side of the table. It's not to you know, gross people out, to use a simple term. When you do an, an abortion, you need to keep inventory. You have to make sure you get two arms and two legs and all the pieces. If you don't, your patient's going to come back infected, bleeding, or dead. Um, so I soldiered on and finished that abortion. And I know it sounds, as I said, hard for people to believe, but I'm, I'm telling you straight up my experience. You know, after over 1,200 abortions, first and second trimester up to 24 weeks and all the rest of it, and being very dedicated to it, for the first time in my life, I really looked. I really looked at that pile of body parts on the side of the table, and I didn't see her wonderful right to choose, and I didn't see all the money I just made. All I could see was somebody's son or daughter. And I stopped doing late-term abortions after that, and several months later, stopped doing all abortions. I hope that you can see that I'm not just making these things up, that these are facts. This is what goes on behind closed doors at places like Planned Parenthood and at places who perform abortions. It is a very real problem. It is something that we must continually fight, that we must continually address, that we must not back down, that we must speak up for those who don't have a voice and who can't speak up for themselves. Look, I know 2020 was not really that good of a year. A lot of terrible things happened. A lot of death happened. One of those things that happened was this. The United States passed a milestone. We surpassed 61 billion abortions since 1973. 61 billion. It's a sad day when we realize that we are truly living in the midst of a genocide. And because of that, I ask you this. Join me in prayer. For our nation, that our focus would turn back to God, for our leaders, that the right laws would be put into place that outlaw this horrific act of murder, for our young people, that they see the importance of life as, as well as abstinence, and for our pregnant mothers, regardless of situations, regardless of what happened, that they know that they are loved that they know that there is hope, that they know that there are options out there, that they know that just because one bad thing happens doesn't mean it has to be answered with another bad thing. I ask you to join me in prayer for those who have had abortions. Maybe you've had one and you're listening. Maybe you've, you're thinking about having one and you're listening. 
God loves you. I love you. Everyone here at the Scattered Abroad Network loves you. We're praying for you, for your healing, for your emotional healing, for your physical healing. And I hope and pray that you are growing closer to God, that you through maybe this study together, you realize that even though you did something that was wrong, that you can come back from it. My email is in our show notes below, and I encourage you, I implore you, contact me with questions. Email me. I would love to talk to you, to have a discussion with you. The last thing I'll say, when, when we take it upon ourselves to so arrogantly presume that we have the right to abhorrently and repugnantly murder, to end, to stop the heartbeat of an innocent life, then we have truly tried to make ourselves God. It is arrogant. It's blasphemous. It is pretentious. Friends, quite simply, it is wrong. Psalm 14 and verse 1, The fool said in his heart, There is no God. I beg you today, please don't be a fool. Thank you again so much for listening. And as always, don't conform, but transform. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. If you would like to email us, you can do so at thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. That's thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. Remember, you can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.